Broadcasting from the Bet MGM studio, it's time for Inside the Jets. Presented by EY, building a better working world. Now, here's Bart Scott and Dan Grossa. And welcome into another edition of Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Grasso alongside former Jet linebacker Bart Scott. Bart, how's things? He's smiling. He's mugging for the camera I'm, right I'm now. I'm trying. Uh, yeah. Listen, we didn't expect to be here, but we're here, so we're going to deal with it. We're going to put our big boy pants on, and we're going to look for solutions. You mean here doing excuses. the show, you and me, or just where the football team is right now? Well, with the, where the football with the team football is. Team, yeah, where the yeah. football team is. The good news is that um, – you know, you think about Amazon and you say, hey, guess what? Coming to America 2 was bought, so that's going to come. That should put a What was that, 125 mil or something yeah, like that they got? 125 mil. So Woo. I guess, uh, guess what? You know, things are getting better. Eddie needs to write us a check, I think. You know, maybe <laughs> find it. Maybe sponsor this beer, bad boy. Well, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have people come over to my house and I'm going to charge them regular AMC commission to come in so that way I can get, you know, one price to watch the movie, but I can charge it. 15 to 20 times like the Bart Scott movie theater experience you got everything going on you got the reclining chairs you got the, the nice do. you got all that stuff I do yeah I know you do I do um where's you better give me my invitation I'll be there <laughs> I know that but yesterday <laughs> charge you double no come on I get the discount I get the teammate discount here 24 nothing down in Miami yep. things yep. didn't go according to plan and for all intents and purposes let's be honest you watch the game 21 nothing at the half he kind of figured that it wasn't going to be the Jets day here and you know, again, Joe Flacco making his second straight start, but it seemed like he was really under a lot of duress for much of that afternoon, was he not? I mean, when you look at Joe, you look at he really didn't have his feet on him. A lot of those throws he was throwing off the back foot, and I know he has tremendous arm strength, but you have to have your mechanics in place. He didn't trust the protection in front of him. A lot of interior pressure early, and an indication that it wasn't going to be our day. Perriman beats, you know, the cornerback. He's two yards behind. Joe Flacco throws the ball. I think he puts it in the perfect position. You know, Perriman turns around too early. He stops running. If not, that could potentially be a touchdown. Changes the momentum and the vibe and puts the pressure on the Dolphins to respond. And what do you think that stems from, though? Because, I mean, if you think Flacco – Joe Flacco was rehabbing a, a neck injury, right, all summer. So he didn't really get a lot of reps during training camp. He and Perryman, you know, how much on-field work did they get? So do you think that that was a case of just that rapport is not there between those two guys? That, that's exactly the case. And Perryman, I, I don't know if he how much practice time he got last week. I know he was a full participant, but we don't know how many snaps he got and how many times did you really get the opportunity to, to, to run that play in practice. You know, every, every play that you run in the game, you don't run in practice you may have done it in some of the situational um, drills that you have but it's a different thing when it's live you have a body on you you have people there and then you saw Joe try to compensate because he plugged up the, the first time so he underthrew it because he believed Perriman was going to be where he was the last time but Perriman decided that hey I'm going to run it the way I should have ran it the first time right and then now you have to fight for the ball come back those are two opportunities to be able to have explosive plays and maybe change the landscape and the narrative of the game as it was going early on and really to me the biggest uh, factor in this game was the fact that the field position flipping the field you look at um, you know Jeff Smith you know trying trying to you know get the ball um, on a kickoff tried to what well, people don't realize what he was attempting Vincent to do. Smith Vincent too Smith. many I'm Smiths sorry. on the too team. many right Smith. yeah what he was attempting to do was to grab the ball and move back in the end zone so that would it would be a touchback but it was too far out now he has to make a decision caught in between is never a great place especially when you have you know people running down with a head start and it was just the continuation of that you know one of the places where a team can really improve immediately is usually in the special teams position now it may take 
a couple starters saying, you know what, I want to make a splash impact because you know that most teams don't put starters on their on their special teams. So say, hey man, I want I want to make an impact. So if you're if you're crowded, do you say, hey man, I, I can help help you a little bit? Because I'm sure early in his career he was a punt returner. Hey man, I want to try and help the offense by trying to flip the field and get good field position. Because Barrios is stuck in between, right? You cannot be fair catching the ball inside the ten. No. You know you have to let that bounce and make them make a make the, make them make a play. You know like sometimes will they get down there and catch the ball? Yes. They will, uh, but sometimes it's going to bounce in, and that's the difference of a net 15 to 20 yards, and it changes the way in which you can call the play. Those are the little things that you have to do, and that's the little things that the Jets aren't doing to try and change the momentum and change what's going on. You know, and it starts with the little things. Sometimes we focus too much on the big. And unfortunately, penalties kind of reared their ugly head again yesterday, too. In that first half, 67 penalty yards, which is certainly something that you thought that they had a better handle on in the previous week's game against Arizona. And even on special teams, right? There was that one ep- ep- instance in the game where Jets were punting or, or Miami was punting one of them or whatever. But remember, there was a special teams penalty on the Jets there. Yeah. And then the net yardage on the punt ended up being almost like it was a jet punt, 10 yards or right, something exactly. like that. So you're really shooting yards, yourself yeah. in the foot. And you hear coaches harp about this a lot with self-inflicted wounds coming back to bite you. You can't do that, especially when it seems like you're fighting an uphill battle like this team is doing in a week-in, week-out basis. Yeah, and I mean, they can't get out of their own way right now. Sometimes it's just how the football guys serve it up to you. And what you have to do is you have to do the right thing so that the football guys can say, you know what, they've suffered enough. And it's going to take some of these young guys to step up. We're at the point now, even early on in the season, where it's time to evaluate some of these young guys and see who's going to be part of the core moving forward. You want to get them more opportunities. Y'all would have liked to see P. Ryan get a couple more carries to try and see what he has. You know, I remember coming in and we had this this, this big tailback and, you know, he, he was like 24 years old. And I was like, man, how the hell – you and Joe Burrows may be the oldest rookies in the history of football, and his name was Sean Green, and he played behind Thomas Jones early in the season. Yep. But, you know, those fresh legs and him learning how to be a professional. He was really the closer. Paid, really played dividends. So let's see if P. Ryan can kind of learn that and start getting some more opportunities on first and second down so that he can really see what, what he is and see if he can handle the load because we understand we respect and love Frank Gore, but we understand that he's not the future, he's the present. And, you know, the funny thing about it is P. Ryan actually got more snaps than Frank Gore yesterday, but when the touches, you factor those in, those are pretty much split down the middle. And then Adam Gay said after the game that, you know, one of the reasons why they maybe didn't look to feed uh, P. Ryan the ball a little bit more there later in the game was he was trying to maybe compensate a little bit for that drop pass he had and wanted to keep his spirits high. But, you know, those are the ebbs and the flows no, of a I football game. No spirits high. Right? No, but I mean, that's going to happen. Yeah, I just want to teach this young man how to forget the the, the last play. And the only way I can do that is by saying, you know what? Don't go on the sideline and think. Go back in the game and run it this time. Right. So that you can erase that bad play because you're you're trying to get another good play. And those are just one of the things that, you know, we we have to focus on, you know, really teaching these young guys that, listen, we understand this stuff is hard right now. We understand it's not going your way. We understand that you don't feel great about yourself. It's tough. When you're losing like this, it's tough to go to the grocery store. It's tough. All the things that you do when you're winning or before the season, everything's optimistic. Those things hurt because, you know, you, you see the people, they know who you are, and, 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 and you feel that negative energy. And, you know, that's a bad place to be in. But the only way you can, you can fix it is to, is to start, you know, giving hope to the fan base that things can change. And you do that in your preparation. I understand that they've been playing and practicing great. But you have to understand that for it to translate, you can't leave any stone unturned. You got to understand because the way you drew it up in practice may not be the way in which it's, it's delivered in the game. Right? So you think about, you know, you get to the game and, you, and it was this way all week. 
but then they're in a different defense or they adjust because this thing they do film study as well they, right. they've been with Adam Gates they understand his system a little bit you know what I mean the players that are there that he coached and I'm sure that you know the first thing they did was go get uh, Devontae Parker and say hey you know what does this mean what does he like to do out of this what does he do out of that you know that's what any smart franchise would do and look like they had a game plan for it and Fitz Magic uh, was Fitz Magic yesterday not Fitz Tragic and that's always a bad indication when he's smiling. Threw a couple of INTs, but it didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Game was already decided by that. I mean, that one big at the end of the first half that Poole got, or else the damage could have been even worse going into the locker room there. And how about that Marcus May, the Marcus May interception? I mean, that's probably going to be on the highlight reels all season long here. Something positive, at least, to come out of that game. Well, you know, the fact fact that he recognized that it was a deep route, he opened up early. It's Mm -hmm. like one of those things, sometimes too, too often you see safety sit back and they allow their cushion to be eaten up before they open up. He recognized that, hey, it was a vertical shot. He opened up, and he got on his horse early and put himself in position not to panic because he was in great phase with the receiver. So when the ball was up, he was ready for it. He was able to get his base underneath him so that he can leap and catch the ball at the high point. And then after that, that's just guy-given ability. That's uh, flexibility, plausibility. That's not eating nightshade vegetables. That's TB12, I guess. The fact that he had the dexterity, man, that's a good college word. Is that good? All right. That's Dexter- a good one. He had the dexterity to be able to put his hands behind his back to be able to catch the ball. You know what I mean? You think about linebackers and safeties. A lot of us have bad rotators, you know, partially torn labrums and all that stuff. But it just shows that he still is young and he has little to none, no, um, no, no scar tissue in those shoulders. And we'll talk about it, too. He also played a little bit more free safety than he had been playing this year in that game yesterday, too. Inside the Jets broadcast from the BetMGM studio. Place your football parlays, props, and futures bets at BetMGM Sports all season long. Let's get more on this game from Jets senior reporter Eric Allen and former tight end Anthony Becht. Thanks, fellas. Anthony, the Jets fall to 0-6 with a 24-0 shutout loss to the Miami Dolphins. What would you have told me if I had told you before this game the Jets were going to hold Miami to 302 yards, they'd total two interceptions and six tackles for loss and hold the Dolphins to one of nine on third down? I would have said that, you know, that would have been uh, probably a victory. Uh, the problem is, is a lot of that came later on in the game, in the second half. Uh, you know, I, I think it comes down to moving the chains, Eric. You know, you got to be able to convert on third down, third and short. Offensively, could never get over uh, off the ground, you know, whether it was uh, you know, some type of missed assignment, a dropped ball, pressure at, at Joe Flacco uh, during this game. Again, the, the important downs when you have to make critical plays to get more plays and convert first downs were just not there. And, you know, we talk about starting fast every week, Eric, and that, that was just a big problem today for the Jets. Anthony, how demoralizing is it for this team? They are the only winless team in the National Football League at 0-6. And this 24-0 loss to the Dolphins in South Florida was the first shutout by Miami in the series going back to 1982. Yeah, you know, it's hard to believe, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's 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 really disappointing. I mean, from a locker room standpoint, I'm almost positive every single player is going to be down and upset and, and disappointed. I mean, nobody comes in thinking on the road you travel versus, a, a, a you know, basically a rival within the division uh, and expects to play away. I didn't say anything from a lack of effort. That, that wasn't the case. It was just a lack of converting and a lack of executing. And that's been the problem throughout the season. And unfortunately for the Jets, it reared its ugly face again today. 
you just mentioned that it was a lack of execution. And Adam Gase said, hey, mentally we were okay. We were just getting beat physically. Is that worse? Well, you know, that, that that's a part of it. I mean, let's give credit to the Dolphins. Their defensive line outplayed the offensive line of the Jets uh, quite a bit in key situations. Um, you know, those are the things where, you know, you're talking about execution. It really comes down to uh, being out schemed as well. I mean, Dolphins were uh, came into this thing defensively. Uh, we talked about their defensive line being very active. We talked about uh, the mixed downs and blitzes that they run. And uh, they were flying to the ball today. And unfortunately, you know, when you're trying to get some conversions and you've got Dolphins players in your face as quarterback or they're breaking through the gaps and seams in the run game, uh, you know, they themselves had seven tackles for a loss. So, you know, talking about sacks and also giving up, you know, behind the line of scrimmage plays on the runs, th those aren't going to help you. So, uh, it's unfortunately, it was from start to finish, uh, it was probably one of, the, one of the performances the Jets want to forget as far as, you know, trying to get their first victory wasn't happening today. And lastly, really quickly, the Jets were 2-17 on third down. You mentioned the struggles of Joe Flacco. It's not just him, and we know that. If you had to point to one of the most significant issues on that offensive side of the ball, what would it be? Uh, I think the offense lacks explosion on other downs outside of third. Uh, you know, first and second down, you saw they tried to go deep a couple times for Perryman uh, early in the game, in, in particular the first series of the game back to back, and they weren't able to execute and complete. Execute is not just blocking it up, it's connecting on the pass, it's, it's uh, getting yourself open on the pass. Uh, so, uh, you know, you try to get those explosive plays, plays over 20 yards in the passing game, you know, 12 plus in the run game. None of that happened today. I mean, it just it just wasn't there for the Jets. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, from start to finish, this was a, you know, again, give give credit to the Dolphins. They, they performed every quarter of this game, stopping the Jets at all angles. Thanks, Anthony. All right, thanks a lot, guys. And Bart, after the game yesterday, the Jets make a roster move where Steve McClendon, who was the longest tenured member of this football team, well-respected, almost as a mentor to so many guys in that locker room, they traded him to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where now he gets to reconnect with former head coach Todd Bowles, who's now the defensive coordinator with the Bucs. I mean, listen, you know, the fact that, you know, he's there, they allowed him to be traded and understanding this is a, a signal that they're going to go with the youth movement, understanding that, you know, they have a lot of work to do and you have to really evaluate these young guys. Sometimes veterans can stand in the way of the growth of some of these young guys because it forces them to stand on their own. You know, this is all about evaluating who's going to be a part of the core going forward. And the fact that Todd Bowles, you know, once Vitaly, I forget his name, Vitae goes down. A Vita Vea. Vita Vea goes yeah. down, goes down a, a week ago. Um, you know, Todd Bowles thinks about, okay, let me go get McClendon because I know what he brings to the table. I know he understands my system. I know that he's a high-character guy. He can come in and, and, and really, you know, start day one and understand and actually know just as much about the defense, you know, as you – know, not Sue because Sue's been there, but some of the other younger guys, and he can help teach the sense the, – the, the no, It's a perfect and, fit, is and it a not? And, 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 and a nuance. And it's also doing a solid for a guy, right? It's also doing a solid for a guy that you send him to a place where he gets the opportunity to win a championship. And this should be a lesson to some of the young guys. You never – want to burn any bridges and you got to understand that when you're here and you put that type of film out there and say hey no matter what's the circumstances you can't tell if this is a 10 and 16 or a 0 and 10 team 
you know, you should never be able to tell what the circumstances is with your effort and how you pre prepare for the game and how you work. And when you do that, people recognize that and they understand that they can trust you in the foxhole. And I think what McClendon has done and what he stood for throughout his career means that he can be trusted in the foxhole. And that's why he has an opportunity to join a good football team with an opportunity to win a Super Bowl and be able to, you know, host the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the, of the year. You know, unfortunately, it could be the uh, could be the Jet Bowl, right? Rather, rather it's Tampa, you know, versus uh, Kansas City, or rather it's uh, Kansas City. Um, should I get that? Matter of fact, hold that on. That was uh, Steve McClendon. This on is the Steve phone. McClendon. Yeah. Oh my God! All right, Steve. <laughs> it's okay. It's official. It's official, Steve. It's official. We can talk about it. It's that that is a five dollar fine, by the way. But this is what happens when you have spam when everybody trying to come get you. But it's all I hate good. the spam. Because my people, because my peoples know. My people know. know that I'm working. You're a busy guy. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to cook with grease. But, but isn't it a perfect fit, though, seriously? Like, I mean, for all accounts, if Steve McClendon had to go someplace else, finish out the year, that system right there, perfect for him. And, and I think you made a great point, too. Because, look, Jets are 0-6 right now. Playoffs are an absolute long shot here. But you can't reinforce enough how important it is for each and every guy on that team, whether you're a 10-year veteran, whether you're a rookie, doesn't matter. You go out there and you play your hardest each and every time yeah. out because the film don't lie. And yep. what you're putting on film is essentially your resume. Yep. Because I guarantee you another thing. If Steve McClendon, let's say, was not putting 100% in every single rep he was on the field through the first six weeks and Tampa Bay saw that they need some help on the D-line, he looks to go in another direction. If he was Haynesworth in it, exactly. Like, hold up. If he was out there just trying. punching the clock and stealing the check, then Tampa Bay would be like, you know what? We're going to look someplace else to bring in a player that's committed to helping us win a championship. Because right. one, this guy is either diminished, you know, dramatically in skills, mm -hmm. or he don't give a damn. Either one. That's you know, those are those are terms, and, and those are you know, you know, prerequisites of not being able to get an opportunity. So listen, it's a lesson to be learned. Listen, it's not one, you know, maybe Tom Brady, but it's not one player in this league that hasn't gone through a, a tough season you know I remember when I was with the Ravens you know we started off five and zero or four and one we lost nine straight games nine straight games after starting off on fire in first place nine straight games it happens but sometimes these bad times are what define you you know you have to understand just look at what it was like to be a San Francisco 49er you know when you think about what what Vernon Davis had to go through the, the amount of years that he lost and lost and lost. He just kept plugging away, plugging away, plugging away. And he played in the Super Bowl. He had opportunity to win a Super Bowl. Had the payoff, yeah. Exactly. So it's like one of those things. So, like, a lot of people think that they want to just try and hop from team to team and catch fire. But when you get to that team, you could be in the middle or the end of their process and miss out on that as well. So sometimes it's best to sit here and build something, build a foundation, and build a core. And that's what they're trying to do here. They're trying to build a core. And unfortunately, a lot of times it gets worse before it gets better. And that's usually how it happens. I mean, just imagine we've seen this throughout sports in the last couple of years. We've seen it happen with the Buffalo Bills. We've seen it happen with the with the San Francisco 49ers. They were the youngest team in the league. They got a new coach and they got a new general manager. And within three years, they were in the Super Bowl. Right? So it can happen overnight, but you have to stay the course and understand that when you get this scar tissue, when, when you have this, this scar tissue and this pain, it's what defines you, right? You learn far much more from losing than you do from winning because when you, when you win, you're so fulfilled with the joys of winning that what can make you lose, you sweep under the rug. When you lose, you have to analyze everything that contributed to the loss. So right. in, in, in essence, you grow more from losing than winning. You know, listen, I want the Jets to grow, but I don't want them to grow for too much longer. I want them to be, you know, hopefully this can be all the growing that they get, and then they can figure it out and finish the season strong 
and, and, and have something to look forward to. And we know that it's going to be they're going to be tested, right? Because we know, unlike last year, the schedule doesn't get easier. It gets harder. So listen, you can either sit back and feel sorry for yourself or you can stand up and, and decide to fight back because the league isn't going to feel sorry for you. Always darkest before dawn, as they say, right? But hopefully the dark is not going to be too Man, much longer. Man, is that longer. Socrates? I don't know who that is. That might be Hallmark, actually. Or not. But we'll, uh, we'll but you spin high five. One I'll or the other. Where. One or the other, though. But it does definitely, you know, open up the opportunity for some of these younger guys to get some more playing time. Now with the absence of Steve McClendon, so it'll be incumbent upon them to see if they can continue to grow from the reps. We still got a lot more to do coming up here on Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. And welcome back to Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Grasso alongside Bart Scott. And it's time now for our player guest segment, which is presented by EY, building a better working world. And we're pleased to be joined by Jets safety, rookie out of Cal. He's Ashton Davis. He's nice enough to join us here on Inside the Jets. Ashton, Dan Grasso, Bart Scott, thanks for joining us. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm well. How are you guys? Kuda Matata, man. Are you all getting used to it? First of all, when you moved out here, did you even have a, did you even have a winter coat? I got a couple winter coats. Um, you know, I visited Tahoe and things like that, but never lived in the snow, so I'll, I'll get used to it. It's about to get real, man. Now you just left the uh, fun and sun in Miami, but now you know, you know, things are about to be changing. Now tell me this, you know, I don't want to really focus on on the game so so much right now, but I just want to focus on you as a player and the maturation of you as a player. Now you came in, you made a lot of plays in in, in, in training camp, and you, you came out and you started to have a little soft tissue injuries and things of that sort. You know, do you attribute that potentially to um, the craziness of this offseason, not really being able to ramp up with OTAs, mini camps to be able to build that scar tissue up? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think it was just kind of a weird incident, isolated incident, because I never really had problem with soft tissue stuff before, and I wasn't feeling tight the day of or anything like that. So it was just kind of uh, a freak accident, if you will, but nothing too serious. Now, how's the life of a of a rookie going? Like, um, like it's you know you're starting to hit that midway point. Um, you know, you're gonna have your first bye week for the first time. You know, it's gonna be a lot of firsts for you. And I always say that the rookie year is the the hardest because it's the longest year you'll ever have in this league. You know, going straight from college, going to training for you know the combine and you know workouts and things of that sort, and then coming into training camp. How's the body feeling? You know, how's everything going? How are you catching up with the speed of the game? And, you know, how has it been this experience, you know, coming to the league? Has it been all that you thought? Uh, yeah, it's pretty much what I expected. Um, I'm trying not to look too far ahead and just kind of take it one day at a time. And it's been working well for me. Um, I don't have a car out here. That's been my biggest challenge. So I uh, bike Such to work every day. Such a million. It's kind of, you know, keeping me grounded. And, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty much exactly what I expected. And I'm just, you know, trying to find a routine and uh, figure out what works for me. I talked to you at the beginning of the season, Ashton, and you said that you hadn't gotten a car yet then. So, you know, six weeks later whatnot, you're still in that boat. As Bart said, you know, the weather's going to turn here a little bit. It's going to get real nasty with the winter. So best advice is probably get some wheels and make it a lot easier going back and forth and practicing everything. Yeah, I got people that stay at the same spot that I do. So worst case scenario, I'll hitch a ride. But uh, so far, the biking thing's been been good for me to just kind of stay focused and stay humble. Now, now that you got some game experience, though, underneath your belt, I mean, what has been 
the biggest eye opener, if you will, for you. You know, now that you've taken that next step to the NFL and you're playing against the best competition in the world, you know, for a guy who played college football those years, now what has been the biggest adjustment that you see here for the first, you know, month and a half of your NFL career? Well, every, everyone's an all-star up here. Everyone's a professional. So it's um, the details make all the difference. And um, you see that going back and watching film, even if I'm not on the tape, it's, it's the little things that, um, you know, whoever executes the little things and the details properly is usually going to um, come out on top. You know, the crazy, the good thing about the league is what happens is you play the same opponents, you know, you play the opponents in your division, and also you play players that, that you get books on and things like that. You know, yesterday you guys played Miami. You're going to be playing them in the next couple of weeks. You played the Buffalo Bills. What type of data are you gathering and, and books and notes are you trying to keep on certain players and their tendencies? Well, it's, yeah, it's just like you said. You try to find tendencies. You try to figure out what their game plan is and what they like to do. Um, whether that, that be a scheme specifically for you guys or if, uh, something that they've been doing all year and um, kind of what their, find their identity and uh, figure out then what specific players like to do, what their releases are like, what they like to do in press, what they like to do versus off, and just um, look at those little things and try to, try to get a jump on um, and a feel for what they're trying to do offensively. Now, when, when, I, when, I, when I saw that Joe Douglas drafted you, you know, remember I had Joe Douglas with me in Baltimore. He actually was the, the Turk who, um, you know, should tell you to, you know, get your playbook and go, go see coach. You know, so he was, he was, he was like the, uh, the Death Star coming when you saw him coming. So, you know, he wasn't a very popular person in, in the building. But when he drafted you, I saw exactly what he was looking at. He was looking at a guy. He had a guy named Chad Williams. We used to call him pound for pound. And pound for pound was a guy that we utilize in so many different ways. And I think that's what he sees when he sees yourself. How do you think that's your best way of being utilized? And who did you pattern your game after in coming up, you know, playing the safety position? Uh, you know, I would try to take from everybody. So I watched a lot of uh, early Earl Thomas film, um, guys like Micah Hyde that did things that uh, people thought I did well, um, things that they did well. And I would try to implement that into my game. Uh, and yeah, I would just try to steal from everybody and, you know, take the best part of everyone's game and try to emulate it as best I could. We'll have more coming up here with Ashton Davis. Safety for the New York Jets. When we return on Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. One. And welcome back to Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Grasso alongside Jet linebacker Bart Scott, and we're joined by Jets rookie safety Ashton Davis. Now, after the game yesterday, Ashton, we found out that Steve McClendon was traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, you know, being the longest tenured Jet, I know that he was a very valuable influence in that locker room. Yeah, how well did you get to know him, and how, do you, how much do you think that his presence is going to be missed amongst you guys in that locker room? I mean, I only had one offseason here, and it was kind of an unconventional one, but you definitely felt his presence, and he was a guy, a great leader, and someone that, uh, you know, taught me a lot as far as uh, how to be professional. And yeah, he, his presence was felt in the locker room for sure. You know, what, you know, what's the reality of this? Uh, understanding that, you know, this may be new to you. You know, in the NFL, every year the roster turns over 35%. You're going to have a lot of different teammates. How do you kind of internalize this and kind of understand the business part of football early on in your career, early on in your first season? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning as I go, but I'm trying to focus on me and what my responsibility is and try to stay in the building as long as I can.
You know, when you look at this defense in the game against Miami there on Sunday, you know, you gave up 21 points in the first half, but then after halftime, only surrendered the field goal. Marcus had that big interception. Do you guys think you started to come together a little bit on that side of the ball after halftime? Any adjustments in particular were made? Uh, just the small things, the details, focusing on the details and, um, you know, got it cleaned up a little bit, but, you know, didn't do enough good things to, to win the ball game. So, uh, back to the drawing board. You know, playing playing in a complex system like Greg Williams is in, you know, understanding that maybe one of the byproducts of not being able to have a lot of time with the OTAs, the rookie camps, and you know, training camp, a tra traditional one, you know, maybe you know, got lost in translation was the communication. You know, how how difficult it, you know is it to communicate in such a short season to kind of understand the nuances of the defense and being able to utilize all the tools in the tool belt. You know, knowing that you know you may you know not have worked with a player before, or being able to have that nonverbal communication. How important is, is that, especially on the back end? I think it's important, and it's something that we missed out on. But uh, in the in the grand scheme of things, everyone's missed out on that. So uh, I don't think we can ride on that as an excuse. It's just we got to get some things cleaned up, and um, yeah, just try to get better every week. You being a safety, how much have you tried to learn from guys like Marcus May, Bradley McDougald, you know, guys who have been in the league now for several years? You being a rookie, you know, what kind of things are you trying to absorb off of them? Are you kind of just attacking this as almost like trying to be a sponge? Yeah, definitely. That's exactly how I describe it. Just trying to soak up as much as I can. And um, again, going back to the details, trying to trying to implement as many of those details when I get out on the field as I can and make sure I'm ready to go whenever my number is called. Do you think that the experience of being a rookie playing your first year here in the NFL, has it slowed down a little bit for you? Because I'm sure that at the beginning, it's all the whirlwind. You want to play your best. You want to make a good impression on your teammates and your coaches and really make an impact. And so things are probably happening at like a frenetic pace, but has the game and everything around you kind of slowed down here as we've gotten into October? Yeah, as I, you know, get more defensive reps and get comfortable back there, things definitely are slowing down. Um, I think it's more so about the nerves for me. Um, just, you know, it's the same game I've been playing, and I'm starting to realize that and starting to get comfortable back there. I know that you're a workaholic. You know, you want to obviously, you know, make your impact here as a rookie in the NFL and get your – kind of, uh, you know, your career headed on the right foot. But what do you do away from the field? You know, we, when you're back at your place, you know, do you have any downtime? You know, what do you like to do for fun away from football? Uh, I'm usually either taking care of my body or if it's, you know, watching film um, on my off days, I'll, I'll play a little video games. But other than that, I'm pretty, pretty locked in. Like I said, I, I don't even have a car, so I'm focused on here and taking care of my body first. Do you watch a lot of other football when you guys are off? I mean, like other games and, you know, it seems like now because of the schedule being so weird, there's a game it seems like every single night. Do you watch a lot of the other teams around the league when you're not playing? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, tonight, Kansas City and Buffalo, those are two teams we're playing in the next couple of weeks. So uh, definitely going to be tuning into that and trying to pick up whatever I can. How about the rest of the rookie class? You know, it's kind of been a mixed bag so far for you guys. You know, it seems like each and every one of you has dealt with an injury at some time or another. Some guys are still on the shelf. But have you bonded together in any way, all of you first-year players? Yeah, um, you know, definitely stuck together and 
you know, we have these rookie success programs. And, yeah, I've definitely bonded with those guys. I'm definitely saying I'm close with them. Well, Aston, thanks for a couple of minutes. We really appreciate you joining us here on Inside the Jets and continued success the rest of the season. Thanks for hopping on with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that's Jet Safety Ashton Davis, and our player guest segment is presented by EY, building a better working world. Help MetLife celebrate the incredible workforce of the tri-state area. Submit your idea for a two-story high mural being installed at MetLife Stadium. Go to nyjets.com slash MetLife to submit your designs today. Still got more to do on Inside the Jets. We're coming right back, presented by EY, building a better working world. And welcome back to Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Grassa and Bart Scott alongside you. We're also brought to you by Selective Insurance. Be uniquely insured. Interesting week six of the National Football League, I would say. And really the marquee matchup, at least on the schedule, apart from it was apart from our game, as a matter of fact. The Green Bay-Tampa Bay game, you had the yeah. two number 12s, the two future Hall of Famers. Green Bay jumps out 10 nothing. Aaron Rodgers is doing his flexing. He's doing his little shimmy and whatever. Was that, was that Keenan Pill? Keenan Pill? Where yeah. He, like, he got it right there, and he, and he held it. And then he's like, you better not do it. And he did, and he got the flag. And you think that one's going to come back to bite him? Because things were all looking good then, but yeah. then the Bucks run off 38 consecutive points, and then they win this one in a laugher. Um, I thought Tampa would win the game. I didn't expect that, though. Well, I expected some version of that. You know, you, you never really count out Aaron Rodgers when he's on the road, even though you hear his record about, you know, his record with uh, going against other Super Bowl winners right. are, are really bad. But, um, you know, the way they got out looked like they were in total control, looked like Tampa Bay was struggling defensively and offensively. And I think they, you know, went to their secret sauce. And their secret sauce is a lot of grunk. You know, getting him involved as he's still trying to get his sea legs underneath him, his timing back. But without OJ the Juice Man there, you're going to see a lot more of Rob Gronkowski with Cameron Brake, you know, kind of pairing them together. They run a combo routes with each other. How do you defend that? Because at the end of the day, you got to have two, you know, if you if you if if they have two receivers over there catching them man-to-man, you have to take the, the, the two corners and move them away from the side. So what you have on the backside, you have a linebacker and a safety covering two legitimate tight end, you know, uh, receiving threats. And they, they exploited that matchup and utilized it. And you saw the timing when you can tell that Brady and, and, and Grunk has thrown that pass a million times because he reversed pivots out and kind of, you know, holds the defender on the front side, pivots out and catches him and puts the defender on his back with the little pirouette. But, you know, I think the Achilles heel of this Green Bay Packers team is and will continue to be their lack, their run defense. They're getting over, giving over, over like 108 yards per game, which is down from the 114 right. that they gave up last year. Um, you know, they made a lot of improvements, but they really, you know, they let Blake Martinez go, and I think they brought Kilson Curry or somebody from um, the uh, the linebacker from Cleveland. But that's not enough. Kirksey, yeah. You know, it, it, you know it, it, it's not enough. And, you know, I think if they can, – can Green Bay win a championship? Maybe. But can they beat a team if they have to go through – Say like, um, well, look at you know, it this San Francisco way. 49ers, Tampa Bay, bad matchups, and you know styles make fights. The crazy thing about this year is everybody has a flaw. No, there's no dominant team, and you're talking about them just getting out of the NFC. Forget about getting out of the NFC. How about them getting out of their own division? Because <laughs> don't look now. Somehow, some way, the, and, and the I the tricky Nickies, dude. I don't know how, and I keep saying this about the Chicago Bears. They're five and one. They're winning ugly. I don't know what they do well. I, I, I'm being serious. Yeah. And, and this is like the ultimate compliment, I guess. I don't know what they do well. I say in each and every game, 
But yet, there they are on the right side of the scoreboard each week. Same thing yesterday in Carolina. But they're, they're about due for a market correction. And uh, with all due respect to uh, Carolina, that's pretty much a fluffed up three and two that they were. You know what I mean? That's not a legitimate three. That and game two. yesterday this, showed you they're not quite ready yeah, for prime yeah. time yet. I mean, yeah. and, you know, maybe they could be ready for prime time if that, you know, running back. I love the Mike Davis story and, you know, him going back and facing Chicago, a team that gave up on him. But McCaffrey is far superior and he, he creates so much more problems that Mike Davis can't, can never do because of his ability to play receiver. With that being said, you know, Chicago's winning the game so they're just supposed to win. And what happens is, especially in a season like this, it becomes a battle of attrition. And you got to see what team is healthiest at the end because not always the best team that wins the championship. Right. It's the most healthiest team. And you have to avoid these big injuries from some key pivotal players. You know, it looks like all of a sudden Minnesota is, um, <laughs> you know, potentially in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, you know, because who saw that coming? You make the trade for Ndokwe, you think that that was a missing piece trying to replace Everson Griffin, so now you have two legitimate pass rushers. Well, the quarterback had three picks in the out. first half yesterday, which set him in a hole, and look, that so, Atlanta so, team, so happy that he decided not to come here because you imagine Karen carrying that contract, that. and they just redid the yep. contract for him as well. So just imagine if you, you just signed him on for another three years and you had to put, put up with that. And you knew that Atlanta was going to eventually break through here because they had two much talent on that team to be 0-5. And look, they made they the coaching change. Right. I mean, think of how many leads that they blew. And yesterday, when Minnesota started to come back, and you're like, oh, this is not going to happen again, yeah. is it? But they were able to hold on. So that was good to see there if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan. Remember, Jets fans, you can watch Inside the Jets through the Jets app presented by BetMGM. Go to the App Store or Google Play right now and search official New York Jets. Another game was getting hyped up yesterday. AFC North. Cleveland, Pittsburgh, old rivals. This was like the biggest Brown-Steelers game in almost two decades. And then when you played the game, you're like, yeah, same old, same old. Same difference. I mean, you think of Mike Tomlin, he's 14-0 against Cleveland. Sometimes, like, we like to, you know, sign and sometimes we – 14-0 at home. And sometimes, sometimes, yeah, sometimes we use words like – you know, this is a rivalry. It's only a rivalry if the other team wins sometimes. Right. It's only a rivalry if the other team takes something from you that's important to you. It's not a rivalry. What happens is this is batting practice for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This opportunity for them to get right. And right now, you know, they, 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 I believe they're the best team in the AFC North and the most complete team. I think that the Baltimore Ravens have a lot of work to do. I think Lamar Jackson – you know, isn't throwing the ball as well as we would hope. And I think it's because he needs another receiver. I've been saying, I know Julio got hurt, but I said it you know, last week, the Baltimore Ravens is a team that should be in the market before the trade, land, the trade deadline to get a impact receiver. A.J. Green, I know A.J. Green said, I didn't mean that. I didn't say I want to get traded. Bull crap. Right? And but A.J. Green, are you worried about his durability, though, at this point? At this point, if you're the Baltimore Ravens, you can care less about his durability. All you need is four or eight great games out of him. And matter of fact, you're going to put him on a pitch count to make sure that he gets to the finish line healthy. Or if I'm the Ravens, I'm strongly considering in two more weeks making that call to Hollywood Brown's cousin who's been working oh, with Lamar Jackson out go there. there? Because I, I absolutely would go there. Baltimore is one of the very few places that can handle a personality like that. John well, they got Harbaugh, rid of Earl Thomas, though. Yeah, yeah, they got rid of him because he acted out. They still gave him an opportunity. So, listen, Antonio Brown there with his cousin may understand that this is his last shot. And, listen, much like Le'Veon Bell, 
you know, being able to say, you know what, I was right because you think about the killer bees, they all decided to leave Ben Roethlisberger, and it looks like he's the one that's winning right now because he's the one that's come back strong and that's undefeated. So if they want to get on par with that and say, you know what, the decisions I made were the right decisions, you already see Le'Veon Bell, you know, going to Kansas City gives him a better chance to, to, to maybe be a champion. And why wouldn't Antonio Brown come here in the midst of the middle of a season with a team that needs him bet more than any other team and say, you know what, for eight games, you're going to get all I got, and I'm going to be the good soldier, and I'm going to be an example, not for, for the other guys on the team, but I'm going to be an example for my younger cousin to show him how to do it the right way, and I wish I could take some of these things back, but I can't. Let me come here and see if I can find a secondary home in a place that, that, that plays the way that I've been most successful running the football, a dynamic quarterback that can buy time to do those, you know, unscheduled plays like Lamar Jackson, like he was with Ben Roethlisberger. This is basically him going back to, to Pittsburgh 2.0. That's so much risk reward, decision. though, because then, it could go but belly but, up but, completely. But then what's the risk? The risk he, is then the, 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 it the, destroys the, you from within. No, no the, week, the week he act up, you say goodbye. And he understands that no more chances, period. So at this point, he has no, he has no other choice. So, I mean, understanding that he's already had chemistry, you've already heard the quarterback say that he won. They can't win without another impact quarterback, another impact receiver. We saw what happened to them when they tried to play Kansas City. He can't just play smash mouth. He can't just run the football. He can't take the the, air out of it. It's the personnel. It's the personnel group. You can't play and be successful with every team with three tight end sets. Sometimes you're going to have to spread these guys out and give Lamar Jackson, give those running backs lanes that way because they're going to have athletic enough players to be able to keep Lamar Jackson bottled up in the box and make him have to throw from the front of pocket. When he, when he has to throw from the pocket, it's a lot better to throw from the pocket when you have guys that have created separation that can win you know, and can make people miss in a phone booth. Are you the Ultimate Jets fan? Tell us why you or someone you know deserves to be inducted into the Fan Hall of Fame class of 2020. Submit your nomination by November the 7th at nyjets.com slash fanhalloffame. They, they should clip that last clip, man. That should be part of our Emmy. Um, you like that one? That should be a part we of We should our, win something. I mean, we should be up for because, something. Because really what we're doing, we GM in the league for the GM risk-free. Bottom line. You know, that's, that's free of charge. You know what I'm saying? They're going to get that high fire. They're going to listen to it, and they should pay us for or at least give us an Emmy or maybe a Woody. I'll take either or at this point right now. Yeah. The other thing you talk about payoff, though, normally we always talk about offensive football. you got to get in the red zone. you got to convert in the red zone. you got to put up seven instead of threes. Unless you're the Denver Broncos. They go up to Foxborough yesterday. They kick six field goals on their first six possessions, by the way, and hang on and beat the Patriots. You know I have scar tissue. You know I have scar tissue. You want to bring up losing, you know, giving up six field goals. That hurts. A little playoff game? I, 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 thought, I, thought, I thought we were friends. Oh, six? I thought we were friends. But that's what it was like. It was like old school. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And listen, Vic Bangio is an old school guy. I know Vic Bangio very well. He understands. Like, listen, my advantage is to u- ugly the game up and win nasty. And that's what I'm willing to do because he's seen it be successful. He was a consultant in Baltimore. And he was there. So he understands that sometimes you just don't have the horses to try and win a shootout. And you have to win. Listen, at the end of the day, all the wins count the same. Nobody cares about style points. And if you can ugly it up and make them play your game and you don't be forced to play yours and let Drew Locke have to come outside of himself and, and, and air the ball out, then you do that. And, you know, for, for, New England, for the New England side, you think about the New England side, New England, New England, is, New England is jacked up. You know what I'm saying? You know, New England, you know, had a lot to deal with, you know, worrying about, you know, Cam Newton and, and, the, and the virus. You're worrying about Stephon Gilmore and all the things that, that that incurred as well. So, you know, you, you give New England a pass for a week. You know, it was surprising that they couldn't come up and muster more points. You think about that Denver defense, you know, not having not having Von Miller and still being in a predicament where they really couldn't be able to be successful. You don't expect that from a Bill Belichick team. Turnovers and, you know, the last play of the game, man, just to, to have an incomplete pass 
you know, is, is surprising. But, you know, you never really – And that um, throw was there, too. I mean, I mean he, he, he was there. He was wide there. open. He was wide open. That's some of the criticism for Cam Newton, that he's not always been the most accurate quarterback in the league. And how about Tennessee, who, you know, we kind of sleep bully on – Bully ball. It's bully ball. But think about that. Short week, because they played on Tuesday – they get a hungry Houston team coming in. It's a rivalry game because they're in the same division, of course. Houston has a new sense of purpose because they make the coaching change. We're going to change. make our way back. This is going back and forth. It was a crazy game. and It was a blowout at first. Blowout at first, and then Tennessee drives the length of the field. They get the game time touchdown, four seconds left, and then they win it in overtime. But did you see what Mike Vrabel did in that game in the fourth quarter? Knowing his team needed clock and knowing the time was the enemy, did you see what he did? He intentionally intentionally sent the 12th guy onto the field on defense to get a 12-man penalty for too many guys on the field just so they would stop the clock. And it worked out brilliantly for him. Why? Because that saved them like 40 seconds. That gave his team enough time at the end of regulation to drive down the field. As I said, they tied it with four seconds left and then won it in overtime. That's genius. I mean, you don't you don't give you don't give Rabel the credit that he deserves, and you know, understanding that he learned all about the nuance of the game. You saw him out Bill Belichick last year in the playoffs with the jumping off sides on the punt team. You know, so it's, it's amazing that you know he he realizes that. And that's what we talk about when we we want to hold our coaches accountable to kind of understanding and being able to steal some time. You know, I mean, that's what you want. You want to be able to steal time and be able to figure things out. That win is just a big of part of, of, of Vrabel as it is his team, just understanding how to steal time, how to find time, and knowing the, the rules of the game and being able to utilize them to the best of your ability. Now, you can't do that this year because right. you call it the Vrabel rule, which was the Bill Belichick rule, but it's going to go down with the Vrabel rule because he out Vrabel, you know, he out Belichick, Bill Belichick. And whenever you're able to do that and understand the rules of the game, how to utilize it to give your team the best chance to win, you should be commended. After, you know, being able to be like the butt of the jokes for the league for a while, you know, with the with the outbreak of COVID and the repeat, you know, COVID tests and other things of that sort, Derrick Henry once again embarrasses somebody. And, you know, he's still playing over 200 yards level. rushing. And, and you talk about the last play. We all knew it was coming, but they're starting to find a lot of wrinkles within this package. You know, he gave like a little counter step, like he was going to the right just to set up the pullers and be able to get all the linebackers to over pursue. And it's a walk in, walk in. And for Houston, you know, I mean, you look at it, it was great. And, you know, J.J. Watt, we're having fun. Well, it wasn't fun last week. And you're starting to realize that it's just as much you guys as it was, you know, Bill O'Brien. Because their defense is terrible. Their yeah. defense is terrible. And, and, and that's and J.J. Watt is still in $100 million, and it's almost time for you to move move on from that and they score a touchdown late in the game Romeo goes for two because he wants to go up two scores even though they're up seven already and people were killing him because they didn't get it but when you have a defense like they have you know why he went into it Jets are back in the division once again next week they're going to take on the Buffalo Bills second matchup of the season back at MetLife Stadium and we'll return after that one to wrap up that game he's Bart Scott I'm Dan Grassa thanks for listening to Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Take care, everybody. And